isn't it awesome to be part of a church that loves to serve so much? Like just hearing these stories, like I'm just fired up and excited just to hear the things that God is doing through the ministries that we are supporting. So that is, that is incredible. And I was just at that um, conference that Kristen was, was sharing about where um, students are putting their hands up because they're feeling called to go to Quebec, feeling called to go to Montreal. Uh, and that was YC Alberta. So it was pretty neat just to see. Even, anyways, just that there's, there's, there is a call to go to the unreached and be there. Um, so last week I was at YC Alberta, so Youth Conference Alberta with a bunch of our junior high students. So I just want to share a quick story because I'd like to share some things that are going on in youth ministry. But that's a, that's a conference where there's a bunch of speakers and bands and um, worship teams. But it was cool just to see how our students were able to take in some of those lessons and those stories and those things and be able to apply them to their lives that students were experiencing Christ, uh, which is awesome. But there's also some fun things that go on as well. We were staying at a school. So this is the first time, it was in Red Deer, first time that we were ever staying in this this school. So I get this walkthrough with this lady. She's just fantastic. And she just like walks through the whole thing. She said, the alarms are, are shut off, but sometimes the alarm company doesn't listen to us and they, they go off. So the alarm system like sets itself at 2 a.m., just like automatically resets itself at 2 a.m. So she's like, if it goes off, it shouldn't. We call them. It's all good. So we go through the first night. The first night is all good. No alarm, no nothing besides the computers like randomly turned on in the middle of the night. It was kind of weird. Uh, so the next day, I just unplugged all the computers before going to bed the next day because I, get, I was woken up like every half an hour. Um, but then the next day, or the morning, the, this one kid, he goes up to go to the washroom in the morning. Uh, this is the first night. And he gets up, and, he, and when he comes back, he closes the door. But it wasn't like, you know when people are sleeping that you try to be quiet? This kid just didn't care. You know, he just like closed the door, whoa, boom, just closed it. And he did it like three times before it was time to get up. So the night, the next night, I call him. I said, come over here. I got something to teach you. I said, close the door. Show me how you're going to close the door. He comes up to the door, grabs it, slams it, boom, slams the door. I said, you're going to try it again, a bit just quieter. And he does it. It gets like this far quietly. And then slams it, boom, slams it again. I was like, no, and I show him, like, you just turn the knob and you slowly close it and it's quiet. He did it. And I said, good, now you're ready to go to bed. Now everybody go to bed. So we went to bed and everything is good. But at like 6.30 in the morning, this guy needs to go up to go to the washroom. So he leaves, he goes up to go to the washroom. He comes back and he's ready to close the door and he slams it, boom. But as soon as he slams it, so he must have, when he got up, the alarm system must have started counting down. But as soon, it was like the perfect timing. As soon as he closed the door, boom, the alarm system goes off. It's like, woo, 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 like flashing lights are going everywhere. Uh, but I think he, and he like looks at me. He's like, I'm so sorry. I should have closed the door quieter. And I was like, well, I think that guy just learned a good, valuable life lesson. So I think his parents would really appreciate that. Um, but it was cool just to be at this conference of YC and see these, these students just take that step for Jesus and want to serve Jesus. Uh, so this morning, I'm the one who's preaching because Matt, our campus pastor, he is in Steinbach, Manitoba uh, at a church renewal conference. So there's a few other people in our church who are there. So if you can just think about, hey, just praying for them, then please please do. And another announcement that I've got is we've got Serve Day, which actually fits into what we're talking about on uh, June 3rd. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that. But we are kickstarting a sermon series this morning called Say No to Hashtag Selfie. 
Okay, say no to selfie. Uh, and this is in part that we have been going through. So if you take your bulletins and you look at the back of your bulletins, it says that there are values. We have six values as a church, and we've been going through these values. And for the next two weeks, we are going to touch on servanthood. What does it mean to be a people of servanthood? Um, and we're taking the theme of saying no to selfie. But what are selfies and why are selfies so... Um, why are, they, why are they everywhere? Why do people love to take pictures of themselves? And I think that's something I was like, oh yeah, I don't think I like to take pictures of myself. I'm not a selfie person. Then I looked on my Instagram and I realized I'm taking selfies all the time. Uh, and I was kindly, kind of embarrassed. Um, but there's something, we take pictures of ourselves, not in the like terrible moments. Like we don't like to be like really embarrassing moments uh, and take a picture, but we like try to make ourselves look better because of the photos that we're taking. We paint a picture of ourselves through our selfies. And maybe some of you guys are like, oh, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. I've never taken a selfie in my life. I have no idea what selfies are. Well, I've got a few pictures to show you. It's basically when you're just like taking a picture of yourself. Um, so I got a few pictures on the screen. I was like, I'm just going to do some examples. So I got some pastors. Okay, here's one. <laughs> some of you might be even in the background, but that is Drew our Mackenzie campus pastor, and he is taking a picture at our Stampede breakfast. Um, so he's just painting a picture that he loves cowboy hats and pancakes and sausage and breakfast. Next picture, we have one of Jeff, who is just up here. Uh, and this is at our Mackenzie 10-year anniversary celebration, which was last uh, year. And he's just, it shows he's painting a picture. He loves the church. Next one, we've got Mark. <laughs> And Mark here, he's taking a picture of this really nice hat. Because if you don't know Mark, he loves hats. Uh, but really, actually, the context of the story, he's wearing this hat, and it said something like he's just trying to fit in with the cultural Mennonites around the area. So there is Mark. And the next picture, we have a Randall. And Randall, in the, Randall was actually like the hardest to find a picture of, just him. Like he just, or all of his daughter, I mean, she's just adorable. Um, so here, Randall's painting a picture that he loves his daughter, and he has really kissable lips, I guess. <laughs> so uh, there's Randall. The next one, we've got Matt, so our campus pastor. If you look at Matt's Instagram, they're always like either outdoors or biking. You can tell right away what Matt enjoys just by his selfies. So there's him biking and me <laughs> showing that I can't grow a mustache. That's what my selfie's all about. So um, we're, we're, we're people who like to take pictures of ourselves and why is that? And I was, I was struck with this when we had James Penner. He came in couple months ago, I don't remember if you remember him, but James Penner is a sociologist about young adults and youth and why they're leaving the church. And he said something about social media that, that still is ringing my ear, that I just keep thinking about this thing over and over and over again. And what he said is that our social media has now, it's now, it's not just about painting a picture of ourselves and telling people what we're doing. It's actually branding ourselves, that it's actually marketing ourselves that the it's, it's basically turning into our resume, that we will and will not get jobs based on the pictures that we are posting on social media, that it is a branding. And I was hit hard by that, that I'm just thinking that there's, there's pressure in every single picture that you're taking to make yourself and perceive yourself as somebody that other people want. 
That's no longer based on self. It's based on what other people want. And it turns into a competition mindset. It turns into a competition mindset because we're taking these pictures of ourselves. And and there's, there's something that was revolutionary that actually just changed that, that I don't know if you see, but back in my day, it wasn't really, well, sorry, I'm not really like, I'm just talking like I'm really old. Uh, back in my day, we didn't have phones with front-facing cameras, okay? So I just got this, just as an example, uh, a Blackberry. I don't know, is there anybody here who still rocks Blackberries? Yeah. Okay, just Steve. Okay. So I pulled this thing out and I was just like, because there's a reason why we didn't take that many photos. And when I pulled it out, I was like, just like practicing texting. And I like pushed like six buttons. At it. I don't even know how I did that uh, before. Anyways, but there's like a brick breaker on these things, which is an awesome game. Um, but you know what? It was harder to just take pictures of ourselves this way because we look and we're like, oh, I didn't get that smile right. Or, oh, I got food in my teeth. But then something happened with with uh, smartphones. So I don't know if you have a smartphone or not, but there's something with this camera that is just crazy. Okay, so right now it's just like, I've got this camera, it's facing me, but there's this button that you just push and the button turns the camera around to face you. I don't know what you guys use this camera for. I mean, I usually just use it to see if there's like food stuck in my teeth uh, or if my hair's misplaced or if I look good that day. But it now just turned people from being, with this one, other-focused, taking pictures with other people, to now inward-focused and just being focused on ourselves and primarily focused on ourselves. So I just wanted to use that as an illustration for the say no to selfie. What would it look like if we were people that turned, that didn't only just take pictures of ourselves and brand ourselves and market ourselves, but what if we were people who actually turned the camera around to the people around us? That was no longer facing us, but it was facing the people who are actually around us. And I was just wondering a little bit about what does, you know, what does the Bible have to say about this, about this kind of lifestyle? Like, what would it be like if SunWest, or even just as Christians, if we were people who just turned that camera around? And I'm not going to share verses with you that are just like, like if these are these are some. Maybe you've heard these verses before, but for me, these were common verses that cut coming up in my life that my parents would just say that these things are just foundational to our faith. So you might have heard these verses before. If not, these are some things that are really important. But these verses are coming from a time when, when God was on earth as Jesus. When God came and he made himself man to be on earth as Jesus, when he was Jesus, he, he spent time, or Jesus, when he was here on earth, he spent time with people. He spent time healing and doing miracles and eating with people, having fellowship with people and teaching. And there's some things that he taught that bothered people a little bit. You see, he was writing, a, a, the, the law was now being written on the hearts and not just on paper. So the, what he means by that is the law that was written on paper, that we have the law and the prophets. We have the law and the prophets, and there was religious people at the time that they saw the law and they saw the ways that the prophets were calling people to live, and they saw that as kind of a formula of getting close to God. If we just live these things out, we're going to get close to God. And these religious leaders, they hear these things that Jesus is talking about. He's actually, he's taking those old things and he's actually bringing them to the next level, right? That he's fulfilling these laws, that he's not, he's not coming here to change everything, but he actually comes to fulfill those laws. And people had an issue with that. 
So they come to him, these religious leaders, and they try to, try to trick him. They ask, okay, so what in the entire Old Testament, what is the most important thing? And then Jesus, this is what he says. He says in Matthew 22, verse 37, if you want to follow along, uh, if you've got your Bible, follow along. I forgot, well, then forget. I, didn't, I don't have notes. Um, Lisa already pointed that out to me. I don't have notes on there, uh, but just take notes, write some things down, write the verses down that, that, that I'm sharing. Also, there are visitor Bibles in the, in the back that if you want a Bible, if you don't have one of your own, go grab one of those visitor Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible at home and you just grab a visitor Bible, take it home. We want you to, we want you to have them. Take those Bibles home. So uh, we're going to be sharing this verse, and this is what Jesus says. What is the greatest commandment out of all of the scripture? And here's what he says in Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So maybe you've heard that verse before. I've heard that verse before. That was something that my parents kept telling me. Uh, you got to love other people. Um, but what is it saying? The first thing is that we've got to love God. We've got to love God. That we have to love the Lord our God. And which that means, especially if we're thinking about this, this selfie context in this way that we love to market and brand ourselves, that we actually have to take a step back and we have to say, no, you know, we are no longer the Lord of our lives, but Jesus is the Lord of our life. But for that to happen, that sometimes we actually have to have to become less, that he becomes more. It says in John 30 or 3 verse 30, it says, we must decrease so that God will increase in our lives, that we have to make Jesus the Lord, of the Lord of our lives, not us, that we aren't focused and concerned about branding ourselves. We're focused and concerned on the love that God has for us, and that is how we're branded. We're branded by the, by the love that God has for us. And the next one that jumps into is love your neighbors as yourself. That I think a natural response to us actually loving God and spending time with God, spending time praying, reading our Bible, spending time in community, talking about God, living this lifestyle, a natural response to loving God is that we're loving people. But I think it actually has to come out of a response out of God's love that we're loving other people or else I think it can be a dangerous thing. That if without loving God that we turn this thing to just go and love other people and we've turned the camera around on other people, that I think it can turn into something that's a little bit dangerous because now we are serving based on what we think other people want us to do. Other sometimes we take, uh, and I think this is where this thing people-pleasing comes out of, that we start to turn the camera around on other people and we see the way that other people view us and that actually shapes who we are and then we're serving out of, out of that. We're serving out of what we think other people want us to do. So what I think, well, what we need to be doing is people who love God first, and then that extends to loving people. Because when we love God, we understand the love that he has for us, and the love that he has for us is image bearers of God. Image bearers of Christ, because that is who we are. And once we understand that, understand who we are, we can serve others out of that understanding, out of that identity, that it's not about the things that we have done, but, it's a, but who we are that we are loved, and then we can love other people the same way. Not based on what they've done, but based on who they are as people. 
And I think those, yeah, those two go, go hand in hand, loving God, loving people. I don't think you can have one without the other. That if a, a true indicator if we are loving God is that a natural response is that we're loving other people. And an indicator that if we are actually loving our neighbors, I think a true indicator of that is, are we actually loving our enemies? Matthew 5, it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That the two go hand in hand, that if we're loving God, we're loving our neighbor. And if we're loving our neighbor, we are loving God. The Apostle Paul, he actually took it to the next level in this. And he, and he said, you know what the greatest, when he was asked the same question, the Apostle Paul who wrote a good portion of our New Testament, when he was asked the same question, you know what he did? Like if it's too hard to remember love God, love people, this is what he did. He just changed it to one. And he said, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because you recognize that if we are loving out of the identity that we have found in Christ, that if we are loving other people, we are actually loving God in return. Because God's heart is to love people and to love all people. So when we are loving people and all people, we are actually loving God because we are doing what God loves, what God loves to do. But then it comes to the question of who are our neighbors. I think I can get on board with this. You know what? Love God, love neighbors. It doesn't really seem like it's that complicated of a thing if that's what the whole Bible is just telling us to do, that I think I can get on board with this, that I think this is something that's really, that's really easy. Uh, and I got stuck with this when I was a kid because my parents would tell me, love God, love people. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I think that's actually pretty easy. Yeah, I can love God. I can go to church. I can go to Sunday school. I can go to youth. I can read my Bible. I can do that kind of stuff. And I can love, you know what? The people who are closest to me because I viewed neighbors as the people who were closest to me, right? Like your actual geological neighbors that I had. Uh, anyways, a family on this side, family on this side, family over here. And I thought, you know what? I don't really know them all that well. So I don't really have any issues with them. So yeah, I think I can love them. That I go to their, their house and I mow their grass once in a while and I extend that love to them that way. And that's how I extend my love to my neighbors because you know what? I don't really know them. It's easy to love them. I just stay out of their way. Loved. I can cross that off the list. I found a loophole in the Bible uh, that I can just love them uh, because they are just closest to me and I don't really know them. But there's a guy named Everett who lived on the other side of town, and you might think, oh yeah, that's like other side, they're way far away, they're not really your neighbor, but in a town of 700 people, uh, everybody's really your geological neighbor. Uh, but Everett, I didn't really like Everett. We got, we played on the same hockey team, we got in fights, and I didn't really like this guy, but I thought, you know what, he's not actually really my neighbor, so I don't have to love him. <laughs> but... Every winter, his family had the nicest backyard hockey rink with boards all the way around and lights. And then I decided to love him just for the winter season. And then, you know, and it went right back to he's not my neighbor, that I don't need to love him. And you might think that this is something that, oh, yeah, this is just this childish mindset that people get into. But I think uh, that this is something that was deeply embedded and something that was going on right in the scriptures as well, that we get caught loving people who are like us who are similar to us in the same circle, same job, same stage of life and lifestyle. Uh, we love to love people who are like us, but it is really difficult to love people who are different or even to love people who are our enemies. In the same passage, 
of the love God and love others like yourself, but in the parallel passage in Luke, something very similar actually just happens in the, in the book of Luke 10. But instead, somebody comes up to Jesus and they ask him what we can do to gain the eternal life. And Jesus says, well, what do you think the greatest commandments are? And this guy answers to love God and to love people. And Jesus says, you are correct. And this guy, he tries to you know, justify himself and justify his actions. And he asks the question, who are my neighbors? So who are my neighbors? And see, if we're looking back at the context of the story in which this was written, uh, God's people were known as the Israelites. These people called the Israelites were God's people, his chosen people. And anybody outside of that they weren't, it wasn't really any of their concern. That's not what the Bible was teaching, but that's was part what happened uh, because of this mentality that they were these chosen people. So the Israelites, the Jewish community, were the chosen people, and they loved their neighbor well. They loved their neighbors well as long as they were other Israelites and other Jews. But other nations and other countries, uh, they didn't love them as well. And there's one group of people called the Samaritans that they really disliked that they really disliked, that they didn't get along with at all, but they wouldn't consider them their neighbors, so why love them? And Jesus, then he starts to share a story. So that's a little bit of the context, but when he was asked the question of who is my neighbor, Jesus tells a story of a good Israelite, a good Jewish man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while he was on that way and while he was on this road, that he was stopped by some robbers, that he was beat up, that he was stripped of all of his possessions, his clothes, his money, everything, that he was beat up to the point of death and he was left in a ditch. And he was sitting there in, well, he's sitting there in the ditch. This man looks up. He's starting to lose hope because he's there and he's left for dead, but he looks up and he sees somebody coming down the road. And he sees a Jewish priest walking down the road. And he's probably like, oh, I'm not going to die, right? I'm going to be saved. And as this Jewish priest is walking closer, he actually steps to the other side of the road and he continues to walk, leaving that man on the side of the road. I don't know if he was too busy that he had to run to his next thing, but he just left him there. He thought that he was dead, that it wasn't his concern, and he left him there. And this man on the side of the road starts to lose hope again until he looks up and he notices somebody again coming from the distance. And this person is somebody who's similar to him. Again, he's, he's an Israelite. He's, he's, a, he's a good Jewish man. He's actually a temple assistant. And this temple assistant walks close to him but sees him. And this man's unable to move because he's beat up so bad that he thinks that he's dead. So he turns to the other side of the road and he continues to walk because it says in the old laws that if somebody were to touch somebody who is dead, that they would be considered unclean and he wouldn't be able to serve in the temple And he walks on by. And again, this man remi- remains in the ditch. And he's, in, and he's in the ditch and, and, he, and he's losing hope and he looks up and he sees somebody coming. He sees somebody coming, but he realizes this person isn't like me. That in fact, this person's actually a Samaritan. And I can just imagine what's going through his mind at the time of, you know what, this guy's most likely just going to, I'm good for dead. He's just going to leave me here and maybe he's even going to just give me another kick for good measure. But what happens is the Samaritan walks to this man and he starts to wash his face 
He starts to bandage his wounds and he puts them up on his own donkey and he walks him to the nearest town where he brings him to an inn and he says, take care of him. And he pays for the inn and he also pays extra money so that these people can take care of him. And he says, if the bill even goes higher, I'll come back and pay it. I'm good for it. And this religious leader, after this conversation with, with Jesus, then Jesus looks at him and he says, so basically Jesus asks the man, so um, now which of these three would you say the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus answered, or Jesus asked him, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And I love what Jesus says right after this. He says, you're correct, now go do the same. So we just shattered this idea of what, who are your neighbors? That your neighbors aren't just the people who are like you, but your neighbors are actually the ones who are like your enemies. But I want you to just, what is your neighborhood? Who is in your neighborhood? I think our neighbors and our neighborhood is everybody that we come in contact with. Our neighborhood doesn't have any walls doesn't have any boundaries, no social class, no difference in race. Your neighborhood is everywhere. Your neighbors are everyone, including your enemies. Your neighbors aren't just the people that you can benefit from. I think that's the story of what the Bible is telling us. And that's why I love where we have the opportunity as a youth group that we are neighbors. They aren't just the people who are here. They aren't just the people who are like us, but we cross borders because our neighbors don't have borders. We cross through borders to Mexico to go love our neighbors because our neighbors are everyone and everywhere and everybody that we will come in contact with. That's who our neighbors are. So then why serve? Why serve our neighbors? And for me, this is one of the best parts. Uh, we we serve our neighbors because we are part of a kingdom that is greater than ourselves. Right? In the same way that we are Canadians, and I'm guessing that most of us are Canadians in this room, uh, or maybe some people have dual passports, but we're Canadians. And as Canadians, there's things that draw us together that make us similar. Right? We all love poutine and bacon uh, Canadian pizza, I guess. Uh, sorry, it's not just foods. Uh, we're also just like really kind-hearted and welcoming people because we're Canadians. That's who we are. We're tough because we brave the cold. We're Canadians. That's part of who we are because we're Canadians. And more than just Canadians, we live in the city of Calgary. We're Calgarians. And what does that mean for us to be Calgarians? We live so close to the mountain that us as Calgarians, we are adventurous people that we love to leave our house, that every long weekend we leave Calgary and we go someplace else to have an adventure, that we are people who, yeah, love to go outside. That's what it means to be Calgarian. But, all, but there's other things as well, like we're mainly all from Saskatchewan, so to be Calgarian, we basically just cheer for the Rough Riders. Uh, but that's... <laughs> that's... Sorry, that was like a cheap joke. <laughs> Uh, but that's what it means to be Calgarian. There's something that actually unifies us and brings us together. But when we actually become followers of Jesus, we're part of another kingdom that brings us together. When we experience the kingdom, when we experience the love, when we experience the forgiveness, when we experience the new life, that the old is dead, that the new is here, when we experience what happened on the cross and that becomes real to our life, we are a part of a different kingdom. And we want to spread that kingdom 
to everybody. That's where the urgency is in, that we want people to experience the same thing, this new life that we have right now, that we want others to experience that right now. We don't want to wait. We want people to experience heaven here on earth and that we become instruments of bringing that to our neighborhoods. That's why we serve. Not for our own benefit, to serve other people for our, own, for our own gain, our own benefit, but we serve it because this love that we have found in Christ, that we find a new life, that we want to extend that to, to all people. It's about extending this kingdom, but there is something that's opposing this kingdom, or God's kingdom. And that kingdom is, is sometimes, and not necessarily always opposing, but there's some things on, on earth that don't really line up with things that are going on in God's kingdom. And I think a few of these things would be all revolving around self and saying yes to self. And when we start to brand ourselves and market ourselves and say yes to selves, we become people uh, that are concerned with this kingdom, that we are calling this world Lord. We're not calling Jesus Lord. When we do that, we become concerned with wealth, that we just want to be getting more money, more money, more money, because that screams success in this world that we want to be people of status, that we want to have power, that we want to be important, that we want to control other people. We become people who are so concerned with education that we say you have to be, have an education to succeed, that those who don't aren't going to succeed. And we become people who just want to be popular, that we want to be liked, that we want to be loved. But a way for us to actually serve and bring this kingdom here is to do something that we, we see in Acts and we see in the early church and we've seen the church do this. And I think this is in part that I love so much about the church is that we see people who have money, who are wealthy. We actually see them give to the poor, but not just give to the poor. We actually see them together in community. It's not just a handing of money. It's now we're actually living together. We see people who use their status and their power, not just to put others down and belittle people, but they use their status and power to raise people up. And that in church, they're living in community and fellowship with people. We see those who are educated teaching those who aren't. And we see those who are uneducated actually teach some really valuable life lessons into those who are educated and we're working together. And we see those who are popular hanging out with those who are deemed unpopular. They're actually drawing people together to equality. That that's what serving, that's what loving our neighbors is, is serving is just actually drawing people to God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is when we're actually working together for equality. Working together to spread that, the love of God. But there's sometimes, I think, how do we know, and this is just the intro to, to serving, and we're going to hear more about this next week, some more of the practical sides. But this is, how do we know that we are being people who are serving God, not just serving others because we feel like uh, that's what people want us to do? I want to suggest that, yes, it's important to go and to serve others and to see opportunities just to jump in and to help out. But I want to suggest that we, let's invite Jesus into the process. Let's be people who are praying into serving opportunities. Let's be people who are praying and asking God where to lead us or who to be serving and where to be going. That I think, and this is, this is coming out of my, my uh, devotion life for the past year. I've just been spending time in the Gospels. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels that are just sharing about the life of Christ. And the more time that I spent in, in the Gospels, I realized, wow, Jesus was a guy who prayed. 
He was a guy who spent so much time praying to the Father. And in his, and in his prayers, God is, is, is directing him and telling him where to go, where to serve, and who to serve. Uh, that Jesus, one of his first prayers that he does is, is when he's getting baptized, he prays. And while he's praying, the heavens open up and God speaks to him. And he says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And as soon as he hears that message, the spirit leads him into the desert where he spends 40 days. And I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us a a line or or a list of things that Jesus was doing while he was in the desert. But one of them, it says that he was to be tempted. But I know that he would have been spending time with his father. That he would have been spending time in prayer. And I can imagine in those 40 days that that God was, was downloading Jesus with this information of who's his neighbors. Not just the Israelites Uh, but all people, and how is he supposed to serve them? And why do I say this? Because it doesn't just show, like, it doesn't just show up there. It shows up in other parts of the Bible. For example, Mark 1, 35 to 39. I just want to read this for you guys. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went to find him. When they found him, they said, everybody is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. So we traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So what happens in the story? Jesus prays. They find him, and he says, this is where we need to go next. That God is showing him these places to go serve and the people to serve. This isn't just found in this passage, that there's multiple passages where Jesus spends the early morning or late at night praying, and the next thing he does is he goes to the next part of his ministry journey, then to the next part, that God is giving him this information. That this isn't just Jesus that this happens to, there's also Paul, the guy who said just to love neighbors, right? When we love neighbors, we're loving God. He also, this also happens to him in Acts 16, and I'm not going to read the story, but if you want to look it up yourselves, Acts 16, Paul is, Paul gets a vision of a man who's calling for help in Macedonia. And what he does is the next morning, he just gets up from this vision that he leaves what he was doing because he knows and he feels that God is calling him to Macedonia to somewhere else. And he leaves and he goes. There's another story in the Bible of a guy named Peter. And Peter didn't necessarily struggle as much with how I'm supposed to serve, but he struggled with who I'm supposed to serve and who are my neighbors. That he was one of those good Jewish boys, that he was one of the Israelites of God's chosen people, and that he believed that those are the people who we're supposed to spread and to the, the, the spread the kingdom to. That we're supposed to share about this good news to is to the Israelites. And at one point, he was on a rooftop and he was spending time praying. And while he was praying, he got a vision and this sheet came down from heaven filled with all of these animals that the Old Testament laws would have deemed unclean. And this voice of God says, go and eat. And Peter tries to fight it, but it says, no, everything I have made is deemed good. So everybody. So God has revealed to Peter who his neighbors, who his neighbors are. So just in conclusion, and we can bring the band up. But as members of God's kingdom, as Christians, as people who, who have heard this message and who just live out the cross, that, that has actually made a life change in us, can we be people who are not just focused on self? 
that we aren't just being people who are focused on branding ourselves, but what if we actually turn the camera around and we take pictures of the people around us and we brag on those other people because of the love that God has for them? Can we be people who are loving God first, who are spending time understanding God, but it's with, with that that we're understanding God that then we start to understand who we are and who we're created to be, and that's to be image bearers of Christ. And image bearers of Christ, that doesn't mean... Um, but that means more than that we're just, cre well, creating his image. What does it mean is that we've got his characteristics, but more than just his characteristics, that we actually, he's given us some of his roles and responsibilities. The Bible tells us to rule and subdue the earth, that we are image bearers. And part of that is to actually bear the image of God's kingdom here on earth. So can we be people who are doing that? That we can love others that we can love our neighbors, that those are all people. So we love God, then out of that love, we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And I don't know what that necessarily looks like for you guys, or even you maybe have some questions of who are your neighbors, but there are some practical ways in which we can serve just right here in our church, in our church community. So I just want to name a couple of those things, um, but we're always looking for ways as the church is part of God's kingdom to even just be serving the people here in the church. And a few of those things are, well, we even just heard of the missionaries and how easy it is to just do financial and prayer support. That's what people need. Uh, serving. There's ministries that are going on in the church, like youth ministry. I'll do a little plug. Uh, youth ministries, like serving into the next generation. We can do the same with volunteering to serve at kids' church. Children's church is not just to be a seat to be filled in that role, but that we actually love these, these children, that we want to see them grow in their relationship with, with Christ. Uh, there's this thing called SunWest Servants. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that before, but I think it's pretty cool that we have a group of people that are willing and ready at any time that somebody needs either food after they have a baby, hint, um, <laughs> Angel and I are having a baby, we could use some food, uh, or like somebody needs to move or somebody needs help to go do something or something's going on in their family, that there are people who are ready at all times to jump in on that. And if you're somebody, we're actually needing people to fill spots in that SunWest servant. So if that's something that you're feeling called to, that I want to serve this church community and, I, and uh, beyond, that I want to serve it well, become part of the SunWest servants. But I think it's more than just serving our body in the church. I do think that's really important, but how are we serving outside these walls? Like I said, our neighborhood doesn't have walls, but it's everybody that we come in contact with. Right? Everywhere we go in our workplaces, our families, our schools, our communities, our sports teams, or the parents who are, who are sitting and cheering on their kids, that's also our neighborhood. So how are, we serving, how are we serving in our neighborhood? And I think it, it starts with the little things, but I think it starts with prayer first. I was asking myself this question of who is my neighbor? So in my, in my prayer life, I just asked myself this question. I said, God, who is my neighbor? And as soon as I asked that question, I got a name right away. And this is the name of my neighbor, actually geological neighbor, the guy who I share a wall with. Right there, I got his name instantly. And I was like, oh, I need to be serving this guy. So I just look for little opportunities. Um, for example, it snows. I grab my shovel and I would just shovel his walkway. Or I saw him struggling. He's trying to reach his Christmas lights and couldn't do it in his short ladder. I've got a longer ladder, so I just brought that over and I said, hey, just use this. Just looking for these little opportunities just to, to serve. 
to build that trust. But yet there were some times that I was still very self-focused. And I remember one night, and this was around Christmas, I actually had to preach the next day, um, but it was about one in the morning and we share a wall. So all I heard was like, boom, boom, boom. Like they're listening to music. I don't know if you know the Nicki Minaj song, the, if I was you, I'd want to be me too. Anyways, so that song is just blaring through the wall. I can hear it every single word. And I start, that selfishness started to come in. And I started to get like a little bit bitter, but I'm like, these guys are just having a good time. That's okay. Like I was just getting this bitterness uh, towards myself. And then I changed my prayer to not just who my neighbor is, but how can I serve my neighbor? So I, so I asked God, God, give me opportunities to serve my neighbor. Lord, give me opportunities and tell me what to do. And there's one time that we just noticed that they have a new car and it seems like it's something really small, but I think God was working in the middle of that the whole time that they drive up with a new car. And I said, uh, and this was his wife. And I said, hey, you guys got a new car. Do you like, like, how do you like it? And right away she starts crying. And I was like, oh, did I say something wrong? Like, what did I say about the car? Uh, but we started talking and I, and I soon realized that our neighbor, the guy's whose name that I got, that his mom just passed away from a heart attack, just suddenly. And that this was her car. And now that they were, that this car just got handed to them. And, I was, and then I just opened up, I got an opportunity. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, but for serving, I thought, you know what? I'm sure these guys need a date night and a time to forget and to get out. So Angel and I just bought them a gift certificate to go out and have a, have a date night. And we just wrote in the card that we're praying for you, that we're thinking about you, that any, anything that you need, any way that we can help you, any way that we can serve you, uh, just let us know. And, and I go over just to, expecting to give this card over and then leave. But I give the card and he says, hey, do you actually want to come in? And I went into his house and got to know him and shared stories. And we spent over an hour together building that relationship. And I don't know which other ways that God's wanting me to extend his kingdom to my neighbor, but I know that he's going to continue to give me those opportunities when I pray for him. So as I conclude, I just want to spend time in, in prayer. So we're going to do a little bit of listening prayer this morning. And we're only going to spend about 20 seconds. I got two questions and, and I'm just gonna, we're just going to ask God just to, to speak to us. And I think that sometimes he speaks to us right away and he just gives us a name like he gave me and we realize that right away. But there's sometimes that he, that he actually uses you, that he uses your thoughts, your mind, that he actually uses you guys because he's chosen to partner with us. So we're just going to spend a little bit of time on this. And I'm going to ask the question just in prayer and I'll just spend time listening. And then I'll ask another question, we'll listen, and the band will just conclude. So, so God, I just want to pray for us here. Um, as people who believe in you, as people who want to serve others, uh, not just for our own gain, but to bring the kingdom here, that God, I just want to ask that question. Who's our neighbor? God, I pray that you reveal to us who is our neighbor? Who is the person or the people that you are wanting us to serve? So God, I'm just going to ask this question and we're just going to spend some time listening. Who is our neighbor?
Oh God, I want to ask you another question in response to that of who are our neighbors. I want to ask you, God, what do they need? How can we serve our neighbor? God, I pray that we are people who love you and out of that love that we love others. Um, so just, so God, in response to the, the name and the people that you have given us, Lord, just give us bravery, give us courage to step out to love in a new and radical way to bring your love to this earth. And even if we're just sitting there and we're not really hearing from you or we're distracted and we can't really listen to you, God, I just pray as we go out in our lives that you reveal to us who's our neighbor and how can we serve them, that you give us opportunities um, for us to serve. Or even that we just go and step out and be courageous and serve. And out of that, we learn this practice of how we are supposed to serve you. So God, we just want to pray that we are people who are courageous, who are brave, that we are people who want to serve, uh, serve our neighbors so that they too can know the joy and the peace and the love and the life change that you bring. Praise things in your name. Amen.